Welcome to Smarter Markets, a free weekly podcast featuring stories from the entrepreneurs and icons of commodities, capital markets, and technology, ranting on the inadequacies of our systems and riffing on ideas for how to solve them. Together, we explore the question, is capitalism in crisis? And will building smarter markets be the antidote? Welcome to Smarter Markets, a weekly podcast that explores how financial and technology markets can be redesigned and improved to better serve market participants and society as a whole. Smarter Markets is brought to you by ABEX Technologies, and I'm Michelle Dennity, your co-host and guide through the intersection of privacy, security, and digital technology. Today is the fifth and final episode of our latest series exploring the role of digital innovation in advancing the ESG economy. It is my sincerest pleasure to welcome Bina Abanoff, Executive Director of the Deloitte AI Institute and AI Ethics Lead at Deloitte, to this podcast. Bina is an award-winning senior executive with extensive global experience in artificial intelligence and digital transformation Her career spans e-commerce, finance, marketing, telecom, retail, software, and industrial domains with companies such as HPE, GE, Thomson Reuters, British Telecom, and Bank of America. Some pretty wide and deep experience. Bina is also the founder of the not-for-profit think tank Humans for AI and thrives on envisioning and architecting how data artificial intelligence, and technology in general can make our world a better, easier place to live for all humans. Stay tuned. And now back to this week's episode of Smarter Markets. Welcome back to Smarter Markets. My guest today is hopefully going to help us unlock the secrets of the universe, at least big data, uh, demystify some things, teach us about ethics, all sorts of stuff. So um, welcome to the show. Thank you, Michelle. It's such a pleasure to be in your, on your show today. Yeah, I'm so glad to have you. So I teased the audience with a little bit of your background, which is really, really impressive. But can you tell a little bit about your journey and, and sort of the collected wisdom that you bring to the table in your current role? And then we'll dig in deeper. That sounds great. So I've actually studied computer science and also did an MBA in finance. And that, uh, you know, helped me straddle between technology and business in a way, though when I was studying, I didn't really realize, you know, how my career journey would shape out. I started out as a hands-on developer, programmer, uh, always anchored on the database side of things. So I've seen it really evolving from transactional databases to BI and data warehouses, then big data and Hadoop came into the picture. And now with AI and cloud and machine learning, that whole technology spectrum has just evolved very rapidly. Being hands-on, you know, uh, at that time was very, it was a very different data world, right? Uh, We were primarily using data for doing transactions. It was, it had its own purpose, but the world we are living in today, the data space has evolved so much. And I'll give you an example, right? The technologies we were using at that time, and I am totally dating myself here. Like when I studied, it was assembly language, Pascal, Foxpro, Lotus, Lotus, and those 
pro languages or tools have just completely gone out of the picture, though I do think we are using COBOL in some places still in production systems. But, uh, you know, I think anchoring myself on data, but learning more about different industries is how I've shaped my career. So I've worked in large companies. I've worked in startups, you know, whether it's from British Telecom to E-Trade when it was a startup, uh, you know, that whole spectrum of different industries. It gave me exposure to industries like telecom, financial services, banking, industrial companies, manufacturing, field services, uh, high-tech companies, hardware companies. And, you know, just that visibility and that mosaic of a career that I've shaped, I think, has helped me get to where I am today at Deloitte, where I lead our Deloitte AI Institute. And I also uh, focus on AI ethics and how do we solve for it, right? As a technologist, it's very easy to see the value that technology can bring for us. But, you know, the more experience I've got and the way, the way I've seen technology evolving, I do think we need to start thinking about the potential negative impacts or risks associated with the technology along with value creation. And I would love to dive deeper into any of these aspects. Yes, let's go. I wish we had more time because there's so much to unpack here. I think one of the things that I'm going to start with and then dive in is what you're talking about is a career and a common thread of data, obviously, that spans all of these specialty areas. And I think common wisdom when we were coming up in, you know, 80s and 90s, it was you specialized. And often when you talk to venture capitalists, you know, what's your addressable market? It should be segmented. When you look at antitrust law, it's domination and abuse of a market ownership. What you're talking about is something that is really blowing out that traditional model. Can we talk about the, the? I keep waving my hands as if the podcast listeners can hear, but it's really horizontal. It's as horizontal as budget. So how does all of your experience and this common thread of data ring to that thesis, if you will? Yeah, I certainly didn't plan my career this way, Michelle. I didn't think that I would end up working across so many different variety of industries. But really, it was, you know, I guess as a person, I like to challenge myself. And I think got too comfortable, right, In whether it was in the office environment or too comfortable understanding that industry. I was, I got curious, oh, I want to go see how they're using data in that space, right? And what that has helped me realize is there are a lot of commonalities of how data is being used across different industries. And there are also very unique challenges. And I think the best example I can give you is around the topic of AI ethics, right? We hear a lot about bias and transparency and fairness in the context of ethics. But when you're using AI in a retail industry or in an industry where there is direct consumer contact, it absolutely makes sense. And those are absolutely crucial aspects. But if you're using AI to predict a machine failure or to predict you know, when a you know, manufacturing plant might have an outage, those are, you know, bias and fairness don't necessarily have as much of an impact, right? The ethical challenges in that scenario is very, very different. So I think that's what has, you know, helped me realize that ethics is not going to be solved by staying at this high level. You have to get down into the nuances, 
right? You you know, you have to understand what does ethics mean for an industry, for a use case, to really solve for it, right? We need to get beyond those headlines and go down to that industry level. Now, that's just an example, right, of how this, you know, different experiences helps me shape my thinking because I have seen how data is used, how technology is used in different industries and there are so many nuances, but there are also commonalities, right? Like you would, uh, the way you would set up your data architecture or your data models or how you would you think about compliance, those are commonalities and there are common themes there, right? How you organize the data team, for example. How do you think about future of work? There are common threads there that you can apply across industries. And you know, I think I've been very fortunate that unintentionally my career turned out to be a way path which took me down different industries, which has helped me shape my thinking and refine it to a point where you know you understand the nuances but also the commonalities. Yeah, and it's so helpful too, I think, to just constantly refresh with new ideas. So that, you know, your com- the competitive value is new ideas. And, and I want to take a step back first because I want to get into new ideas as maybe antithetical to traditional AI, which I'll sort of unpack as pattern matching, machine learning versus the cognitive intuition robots are taking over the world. So let's get into a little bit of that, that definition. And I'm going to tease you with the next sort of segue that I'm thinking of in combination with what is it, is the question, um, and it goes to ethics and strategy, is the data leading us or are we leading the data? I guess the best way to answer it is by doing a little bit of context setting on how I think. So if we elevate ourselves in terms of where we are with technology today, right? You know, there are three parallel streams, each one moving at different speeds. Uh, whether it is AI or quantum or 5G, think about all technologies broadly. There are three parallel streams. The first stream is really the core technology itself. So if you're talking about AI, you know, it is not fully mature. There is still research happening. There is still new developments coming. Uh, Deep learning libraries are being released. What's the next wave beyond neural net, right? So the core technology is still being developed within academic groups and research groups, right? That's still happening. That's the first stream. Then there is a second stream, which is moving at its own pace, which is where the applications of the technology, where AI is being used in all different industries and different scenarios and different functions in the real world. Even though the technology is not fully mature, it is helping us get value within businesses. So the application of a technology that is still evolving, that's the second stream. Right. And then there is a third stream, right? Because the second stream focuses on value creation. The third stream is more of the afterthoughts, right? What some of the negative impacts and ethics falls there, the regulations that fall there, you know, all of the way that, you know, things that could go wrong, but we don't fully know the, the impact of the technology. So whether it's a health impact or impact, societal impact, work impact. That's the third stream, which is moving at its own pace. I guess this is uh, an example that I can give in the most simplest terms. Think of the car engine that is still being developed, but it is working to some extent. So we put a wrapper around it and, you know, we're using it to get from point A to point B. But, you know, in the third stream, there are no speed limits yet defined. 
Uh, we don't know the carbon emissions. We don't know the impact to climate. We don't know what kind of driver's tests need to be done for the drivers of that car. So, you know, I think for me, when I think about it, this broader context of how technology is still evolving, its applications are growing rapidly, and then there are the ethical or risk impacts, right? And that's what you see what's happening in the space right now is we are seeing uh, headlines, we are seeing, you know, these tactics about robots taking over the world. But the reality is we are nowhere close to that. We are still, uh, you know, we are still trying to figure out all the impact of technology. You know, with that context, I would say there is still a lot of work to be done in the core research of AI. I like to say that we are very much in the phase of the artificial narrow intelligence phase where you can solve very specific narrow tasks, but not necessarily in super intelligence phase where you know it is smarter than all humans combined. But those get attention and those make it to the headlines. And uh, you know, there's a big gap right now. And I think between these two points, I think that's where our opportunity is to figure out what should be the speeding limits, right? What should be, you know, what should the lanes look like? And so that's the interesting phase we, li we live in right now where we are figuring out how do we make sure that this technology benefits everybody and it doesn't take over, you know, it doesn't reach its extreme end. I think it's such a great analogy because I love the car analogy because it leads to the next part of this, which is if I ask someone to drive me to work or somewhere and they get on the right side of the road, that's fine. I live in California, um, England, New Zealand, not so much because the rules are different culturally and the experience is expected to be different culturally. So what are the controls that you think about when you either have to have a separate conclusion? Does that get built into the data stack? Or do you try to, to have sort of a treaty that whenever I'm in whatever country I drive on my sovereign countryside, which is sort of what the GDPR tries to do for privacy law, is we're, they're trying to make everyone drive on the left side. <laughs> it's confusing. Yeah. Yeah. And I think to solve for AI, we are going to see those geographical differences because the fundamental thing about ethics is it's deeply personal and cultural, right? And you're trying to elevate it you know, across a group that using a certain technology. So we'll have to get down to that next level. So I think we'll just, we'll see left driving, right driving. Maybe there is, you know, another way. Maybe you can fly over the car in front of you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you'll also see, you know, the laws getting more nuanced around uh, depending on the industry. If you think about AI as a, as a technology that's used in different industries, like we have in the US, right? There's FAA, you know, for aviation roles, right? There's HIPAA for healthcare, right? And so we're going to see, you know, those similar entities happening for AI and other technologies. And that's the level of detail that we need to get to for us to really reach the true power of the technology, to be able to really leverage it while still having those right guardrails in place. I think, you know, and that there's a lot of debate happening right now is, you know, should, you know, let's just ban this technology. So, Bina, geography matters. You've already talked about industry mattering. 
generation of technology matters. Two questions out of that. I, I, I keep having these forked kind of Markov chains with you. One is, do you think we will ever have a government or government's entities capable of coming up with robust enough rules, or are we stuck in a world where we play bumper cars to stick with our automotive analogy here? That's sort of number one is, can we govern this stuff? And the other side of it is, do we have enough diversity of leadership and thinking to look in the right places and to ask the right questions given this global, and I'll say galactic, you know, we're going to have Esther Dyson and, and uh, Bezos up on Mars any day now. So let's talk about intergalactic uh, communication. We To have satellites, they have to fly over territories. To have clean drinking water, we have to trust. Um, how a AI is even more fluid than water. So I'm going to, you know, that's a tough question. Can you fix it for us, Bina? What's, what's going on? I think we'll have to fix it. Uh, my bet is on humans, and I think we will fix it. It is going to take time. It certainly, you know, the past couple of years has raised a lot of awareness. To your question, I don't think it will be a single government or one government that figures it all out just because of the you know context and geography and nuances that need to go into building out thoughtful regulations, which helps us reach the true potential of the technology, which benefits all of humanity, while at the same time having the guardrails in place. I do think you know we'll see organizations, the global organizations, whether it's the UN or WEF, you know, th there are organizations that will kind of, you know, uh, overarch uh, across different countries to make sure nobody is going rogue. But I think uh, the, each government will have to, you know, bring in their own thought and leadership, uh, technology leadership and academics and philosophers, you know, it has to be that diversity of thought who can actually drive the conversation forward. I'm certainly seeing a lot of progress here, Michelle. And, you know, I'm an optimist and I do believe that we will figure it out. It will not be easy. It will lead to a lot of angst while we're going through the process. But I think we will come out of this with guidelines which can help us reach the true power of AI. Yeah, and I wonder, and I think it's per company as well as per culture, if we end up having a, a sort of AI ML czar who sort of says, here's how we start to approach to ask the right, the question of questions and the rule of rules. And I wonder also if you have to have some of that capability through business silos and, and different types of businesses. So some specialized and some sort of looking panopticon style. I think we sometimes forget that there is historical pattern here, actually, that we can learn from, right? E ethics and bioethics have been part of, you know, uh, uh, the healthcare space, for example. Uh, in every business, the business has followed the local rules. The challenge is the local rules don't exist currently. They're not robust enough and they're not totally thought out. So that's why we're going through this uh, little bit chaotic phase. But, you know, if you look at, you know, other uh, industries, you know, which have existed for centuries, there, there have been, you know, every business follows the local uh, local country rules, right? And we, we, we will see that for AI tools as well. And we're seeing some of that happening right now, right, there, where there are rules coming up in EU while, and in China and US, you know, there's going to be those separate rules and each one will go through its own evolution. I'll give you an example of, 
something as um, you know something we don't even think about but when i learned about it the first time i was kind of like wow i i didn't know these rules existed this was we were looking at predicting jet engine failure right for jet engine so that you don't have unplanned downtime and no flight delays so what happened was uh, you know we obviously needed to get data from all the regions where the plane would fly and there was a local restriction from a certain country that they would not it was not allowed to transfer any data that was generated while flying over that region right and we just had to adhere to it right that data would not get transferred so i think you know it is it's not something brand new where humans have not figured it out in the past uh it is something that we will figure it out it's just that because of all the connectedness we have it is that everybody is aware of it and is contributing to it it's also leading to misleading headlines of you know it's the classic clickbait headlines right instigate fear and you will get more clicks but i can tell you being in the space being on the ground i know there's a lot of work being put in to think through thoughtful rules and guidelines and bringing together you know a diversity of thought to the table it's not a place where the lawmakers or policy makers can work in silo it is about you know bringing in policy makers and technologists and you know the philosophers and social scientists together to say okay how do we set this up in a way so that you have the guardrails in place while innovating at speed yeah and what is good and i think the other piece of this that i'm fascinated by i'd love to hear your reaction just this morning and i won't name the the service but it's a a music sharing service and the default is anyone can follow you and you can follow anyone you can listen to their playlist fine sounds very benign and and if i was the ethics overlord i'd be like that's fine what you can't do is once someone starts following you you can't block them like you do on some of the other platforms again it's kind of use a service don't use a service so the overlords decide one thing and and they've made some good decisions but i would say and the default is is open so it's a privacy thing they have to fix that that's just plumbing to me the ethical issue i think is fascinating is i have two teenage daughters what's happening is where a boy likes a girl or girl girl boy 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 whatever and they are rejected the rejected party can send all of these playlists with horrible misogynistic or even dumb stuff that the person doesn't like and they are upwards training the database so now your child turns on their device and the data is just listening to the math so I think that's a it's such an interesting sort of crowdsourced AI hack and I imagine this going on. So how do we so once it gets out into the wild are you thinking about in your research how to control that and contain that or or have pieces of it? I mean there should be something other than just delete the app. Yeah. When you told me about you know the setting changes like I didn't even think about why this would be you know this could be a problem. um uh, but you know it absolutely makes sense and that's why i gave that broader context this falls right in that third stream and you know bishal my bet is that if you complain or if the uh, client, uh, customers complain enough or raise the awareness i think the business is going to introduce that feature the re- reality is we 
none of us have all of this figured out. So, and that's why it's even more important to give that feedback. You know, I don't think it was intentional. I just think they had not thought of it. I've seen, and that's why I'm a big, big proponent of getting more diversity of thought into AI, right? Into the AI teams that are designing, developing, and building. Because, you know, this is something that if you had that experience, you would have brought it up and it would have been encoded, right? The truth is that they've probably not thought about it, but when you give them feedback, I think they will change it. It's a simple enough technology change. That's the good news, that it's a simple enough technology change. And because of its a cloud-based architecture and being able to push the software out and continuously update it, as soon as they put it out there, it'll get updated globally and you know there's a fix for it, right? So you know, my takeaway from this is, you know, you just have to realize, you know, because we are in this second stream where we are rapidly developing AI applications and putting it out there, it's not all figured out. Even the businesses, the AI czars do not know all the possible ways this could go wrong or be misused because there are so many scenarios. And that's why my bet is that it can be changed and it will be changed. They probably just don't know. Yeah, I think, I, I mean, I happen to know the team over there and I, they're good people. They have the right people. They have the right executive kind of leveling and all the rest. The, what they didn't count on is 14-year-old boys. And, and I think it's fascinating. The challenge is, I think, and this is the sandwich thought is, so you've got the users as your in the wild hacker community. <laughs> they're going to do what users are going to do. And some of that stuff will be quite delightful and some of will be sort of not good and, and unexpected. The trouble I think is interesting is we don't have a diversity at the leadership because I can imagine in my prior life as a chief privacy officer walking in with a scenario and the first question back at you inevitably is, is it illegal? And you probably made enough choices. The default on, I would, there's a gray area there, but that's probably still a good yes. So how do you get that as a P1 change? to your developers, because it is a, a relatively easy fix. But if their thought is, we just want more volume and we want more, they're not thinking about maybe this is really, really undesirable content for an individual person. Yeah, you're hitting one of those uh, big debates, right, of our time where, you know, if uh, the value is by driving, you know, more data insights out, which drive to more engagement, and it has negative health impacts or psychological impacts, you know, it's not illegal, but given the advances that I'm seeing happening in the governments across the world, I think it will soon be illegal, right? And I bet if, if you were the chief privacy officer today and walking into a room with a concern like this, there's much more awareness today than compared to even two years ago, right? Two years ago, I remember, you know, it was more about, oh, you know, we just focus on the profits. We don't necessarily think about all this, but there have been enough uh, headlines and bad news and awareness that now ethics has started becoming more and more at the forefront of the discussion. I tell you what I've seen is also uh, more, you know, embedding it into the processes, right? In the past, it would be like, you know, let's just focus and go and build this and put it out there, you know, build fast, fail fast and move on. I think uh, now, uh, you know, at least more and more teams are pausing and thinking of, okay, you know, we know this could create 
this X amount of value, let us as a team think about what are the ways this could go wrong. It's a good start, but unless and until you have diversity of thought at the table, it really doesn't bring in all the possible ways it could go wrong. But I think it's a good start to at least pause. And I tell you, Michelle, as a technologist, it's hard. You know, it's easy to get enamored by the value of technology and not think about all the ways because, you know, you just want to go in and start building it. And I think embedding it in the process, more and more companies are, you know, bringing in whether it's a chief AI ethics officer or technology risk officer, uh, hiring ethicists. You know, we're seeing that focus coming in. Again, it's this fluctuating phase right now where those roles are not clearly defined or not set up in the right way, may not have the right authority to drive these changes. So those dialogues are happening. I bet if we talk two years from now, I think, you know, we'll have a lot of, we would have made a lot of progress, at least in terms of, you know, having clear roles, clear guidelines, you know thoughtful policies and regulations. It's just this messy phase in between when you have to get through this process. Yeah, this is my favorite phase. I have to, I can't lie. I think it's such a good experimental phase and and you've teed up perfectly. This is a series about ESG. So first thought about the pandemic, I think never before in human history have we had such a blend of roles, responsibilities, time, when am I working? When am I not working? This camera in my home versus sitting in my office and saying, this is my office and this is who owns the data. And we always thought, gosh, those Europeans are so touchy. Why are they talking about privacy at work? Well, this is why. (laughs) Because you are an autonomous human being everywhere you go. So that's sort of one thought is like, I think this messy phase is, if we allow it, can be enhanced by our experiences and what really mattered to us in 2020. But I also want to bring it back to kind of cold, hard business of how are we taking all these compound, complex, really fun issues and figuring out how do you report progress in a way that's not just do no evil, or I want to give a nod to diversity, or I want to just deliver the best thing that my customers want. So how do we add this very horizontal functionality and capability and value, as you've described, add in at least the thought about how this ethical understanding grows our business, enhances our employee and our customer experience, and somehow put that into, I think it sits in ESG bundle right now for social and governance, but, but tell me how you think about rolling this up for corporate consumption. Michelle, uh, before I answer your question, I have to say, I actually think we're very fortunate to be living through this phase right now because we're going to be we are going to be shaping and building out something that will be there for the next century or so right as we are going through this icky process of figuring it all out you know aren't we fortunate to be alive during this time and you know have our voices heard and you know actually help shape something that is that is so important for humanity as a whole so yeah, we're never going to like be freezing outside without fire anymore. This is fire. Yes, exactly. We're living through it. But to your point, right, uh, on how do we translate it to business? And uh, we'll see more and more of uh, the metrics, right, changing on how businesses are measured. And we're seeing some of that traction happening already. 
in terms of whether it is, you know, uh, companies publishing their diversity and inclusion numbers or whether companies are declaring their goals around ESG and how much carbon footprint they want to reduce or metrics that you can actually track to and measure. And I think um, that awareness is actually the awareness that we've built up over the past 18 months is now translating into numbers. And my hope is that, you know, the social conscience of companies and businesses will just rise up to a level where it kind of becomes a metric in your balance sheet, in your earnings report, right? At the end of the day, the earnings reports is what matters, right? And the share value. And as this uh, metrics start getting tracked, you know, we'll move from this pure black and white numbers to the, you know, to numbers and metrics, which are impacting our ESG goals as well. I do think there is a long way to go because there's already so much damage being done that we still have to play catch up. But, uh, you know, a company's brand and their risk around not following some of these guidelines is just going to be higher and reflect directly on the numbers as well. So this is, again, one of those fluctuating phase where we're defining it and we are very early days. Um, but honestly, I'm very hopeful. And because I'm seeing those signs where whether it's setting up councils or committees, the number of meetings I get invited to speak at about, you know, how do you build for governance models? How do you actually operationalize it? You know, let's not just talk about ethics and governance, but what does that mean for a business, right? And it's not as easy as just putting it into a document and putting it out to all your employees or putting it out to the media. I mean, you have to actually fundamentally change your processes. You have to actually train your employees so that everybody's aligned behind the goals and follows through with it, right? You have to make sure all your technology is following those guidelines and you have to make those hard decisions on when to pull back and when to go forward, right? So I think, um, you know, the signs are there of that it will improve. Uh, and my hope is we do see that change soon. Yeah, I love that. I think we could talk for hours. But I think what I'm hearing is, you know, right now we are autonomous driving carbon squishy vehicles as 7 billion souls running around the planet. All of that data we're creating, all of those thoughts that we're thinking and all those desires we're having translate into a smarter market as well as great new technology and hopefully saying goodbye to some of the old bad stuff. Yeah. And also, uh, you know, one of the things that I have seen is at times we ourselves live in a bubble, right? And I bring that up because when we talk about diversity, there is an important one that we miss out on, you know, is the economic background, right? And I have been to enough countries where, you know, you see people living on the street or not able to make their next meal. And uh, that social conscience for me is super important. And my hope is that everything that we do as businesses and technologies can help the ones who get left behind as well. Let's end it there because I think that's such a hopeful place. I'll give you a quick story. I was talking to the UN many years ago about one laptop per child and everybody was like, yay, look, we're going to give, it's only a hundred dollars. And, and I was just sitting in the classroom, well, in the classroom, in the big, in the UN, you know, dais, and I'm trying to be respectful at everyone's passion. And I was quite young at the time. And I just kind of said, what does this look like for a child in Malawi? 
$100 is as much as their family makes in a year. You hand someone a plastic device that's worth $100, that child will be either dispossessed or dead by sundown and doesn't have the culture to tell them even how to reboot. You know, I have trouble getting my microphone to work. So thinking of our ethics and our and our applied um, experiments that we're doing through the lens of the person who's the ultimate, you know, who lives in that culture, who exists in that culture, I think that's what you're really um, putting a fine point on. I think it's really important to remember. So thank you. Michelle, thank you so much. I mean, we could talk for so long and, you know, your questions were great and the work you're doing is so crucial. I hope, you know, if anything, your audience takes away from this is that, you know, let's work towards that better future. We are living in this phase where we are creating the future and we're lucky enough to shape it in a way that we want. So let's participate. Let's, you know, give what we can, right, to make this a better future. We hope you enjoyed this week's episode of Smarter Markets. Please join us again next week as we welcome my co-host, Todd Buchholz, back to the podcast. Todd will be sitting down with Jacob Parker, Senior Vice President of the U.S.-China Business Council, and the launch of another monumental five-part series exploring the evolution of energy policy in the new millennium. Listeners, please help us get the word out about Smarter Markets. Your ratings and reviews on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and other podcast platforms mean the world to us, as does your help spreading the word about Smarter Markets via social media and word of mouth. On behalf of ABEX Technologies, I'm Michelle Dennity. That concludes this week's episode of Smarter Markets. For free episode transcripts, visit smartermarketspod.com. Smarter Markets is 100% listener-driven, so please help more people discover the podcast by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast platform. Smarter Markets is presented for informational and entertainment purposes only. The information presented on Smarter Markets should not be construed as investment advice. Always consult a licensed investment professional before making investment decisions. The views and opinions expressed on Smarter Markets are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect those of the show's hosts or sponsors. Smarter Markets, its producers, sponsors, and hosts, Eric Townsend and Abex Technologies, shall not be liable for losses resulting from investment decisions based on information or viewpoints presented on Smarter Markets. Markets.